Welcome back to the Kaku Movies Podcast. Uh, my name is Corey Chris and Chris are with me. Hello. Hey, everyone. Also, and... hello, Aggie. <laughs> yeah, she just used the litter box, so she's got she got to tell us about it. Um, we are here to talk about uh, what we've been watching. Um, we're going to condense the what we've been watching this time as well. We are on a personal timeline, so uh, if you're hearing this once or for the third time, welcome in again. Uh, Lex, just jumping, jumping to things here. Um, okay, let's jump back to what I've been watching. Talk about a couple things here real quick, um, because I do not, I'm not propose, but... Uh, we watched The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, uh, the 1949 Disney movie, uh, is it's very strange. The, the Mr. Toad ride at Disneyland was always, like, a curiosity for me. So I've never seen Mr. Toad, and now I have. Uh, and now it's, like, even more of a curios- curiosity for me, because it takes from the book and the movie and some stuff that's not in either of them. Uh, so that's just very weird. I, I don't know what they're doing with that ride. <laughs> Fun ride, though. Um, we also watched Elemental, which was, like, emotionally devastating for for me and Dana. Uh, I know this is, is relatively divisive, but um, it, it does tell this... Uh, um, this uh uh immigrant story about um the these these fire people coming to a world where like they're literally not the world is literally not equipped for them to be here and they have to make their own way they make their own community and it's also about how um as david chen says in his letterbox review american institutions and bureaucracy are ill-equipped to deal with our crumbling infrastructure uh uh, the the immigrant story is very good. The um the rest of it is you know it's fine. It's a it's a good Pixar movie. It's a, I think it's, it does really well with what it wants to do. Um, the last thing I'll talk about in, in a little a little more detail is the Star Trek Lower Depths Lower Decks. Um, which I think Danny talked about briefly in the last uh in the last podcast. But we've been watching this. We're up to season three. Uh, we've watched through season two, season three, season three. Um, it, some, it took a while for it to get its, uh, its space legs under it, I suppose. Um, and I'm not like this huge fan of the original Star Trek series. Uh, I've seen probably uh, most of the good episodes of TNG and maybe like half of the good episodes of DS9 because I haven't watched like pretty much any of the back half of it. Um, but I do really like those episodes, and my body's, like, super into Star Trek, the type where I could, like, ask him what the episode title of a season-slash-episode is, and he could probably tell me it. Um, but Lower Decks is very good. It explores something that, you know, is not at all explored in, or not not at all, but, you know, rarely explored in the original Star Trek series. Uh, it gigs into the the relationships between the characters, which is obviously like the best part of the the original Star Trek series, and also the best part of television in general is that it's able to go into depth into these characters one episode at a time. And we're traveling with them for so so long together, um, and that's just like this very enjoyable experience again to to watch this cool Star Trek series with uh, someone named Bragward Boimler, which is his real name, uh, Rutherford Tengi Mariner. They're all very great characters and these little things. And, like, their goal is to, of course, get 
promoted and be on the the bridge, be on the bridge crew. Um, so it's just a, a fun little Star Trek series, I would say. If you're a fan of Star Trek, um, I think you'll like this one. I've heard divisive opinions about Discovery and especially Picard, but this one is good. Let's watch more Star Trek. Yeah. One of the ideas I had for this, for for the next series, before I went on Bong Ho was to watch through uh, TNG and DS9, basically. But I get that idea. I don't know if I'll give it, but we'll see. That would be madness. Complete yeah. insanity. Yeah. Yannick and Gawkway. Who to what? It's a football thing. I was very confused. <laughs> uh, welcome back, everyone, to the Taiku Movies Podcast. Uh, you got Chris here, uh, continuing our series on the films of Jean-Pierre Melville, joined, as always, by Chris and Corey. Hello. Uh, our, our latest film in the career, the br- all-too-brief career of Jean-Pierre Melville, is uh, Laine de Fairchot, The Elder of the Fairchot, which was... Translated or retitled Magnet of Doom for English language release. I do not, there are no magnets. There is doom in this, but there are no magnets. Um, Not literal magnets. (laughs) Come on, come on now. There's a a little truth in the metaphor use of it. Yes, there is. There is. Then the, yeah. Um, So it stars in his third, uh, third film with Melville, the great Jean Paul Belmondo. He's joined by Charles Vanel, who uh, you may know, well, you won't know unless you watched it, but uh, last, last time out I talked about having watched Les Diaboliques. Uh, he is in that film, a uh, very esteemed, uh, esteemed career. I believe he's also in The Wages of Fear. Um, so a lot of, lot of uh, big credits to his name, big films he was in. He was uh, an older actor at the time, I believe. Yeah, here we go. Born in 1892. Um, so yeah, he is at the time of filming this right about 70 years old. Um, so he had seen and done a lot, was in a lot of very, very old films, um, with Pelmondo, who is, as I've mentioned before, in many ways, the face of the, at least the male face of French cinema in the sixties. Um, Belmondo plays Michel Moldet, who is a, not a, wants to be a boxer. He's uh, not particularly... Good at it, good at it, and he has one big fight that he loses. Um, his manager basically says, "That's it, you're done." And Michelle and his his girlfriend Lena uh, basically are in the uh, in the mode of, "Well, we have nothing. What shall we do?" Uh, I, I apologize. I need to roll back. This is based on a novel. It's another adaptation of Melville. Uh, I believe maybe his last adaptation. Um, I think yeah. I think this is the last. Uh, novel or, or anything that he's adapting. Um, so, uh, Mode- Michel is down on his luck, um, and another man who's down on his luck, but totally self-inflicted, and we are not supposed to feel sympathy for him, is uh, Diodone Fairchot, who is the uh, CEO of, or a senior, or some senior executive at a, a bank, 
um, that's not in great shape. Um, and part of and more recently, a criminal past of his has been uncovered and being investigated. And it seems likely that charge that it, it, charges will come his way. He will get arrested. Uh, their bank will collapse because when one of the two brothers, who's basically the lead shareholder, uh, the, the two brothers are the leading shareholders. When one of them goes down, the whole bank's going to implode. Um, so he hatches up a plot where he's going to have to flee France before paperwork can basically be submitted to prevent him from doing that and to arrest him or, or charge him with a crime or, or however the, the French legal system specifics work. Um, and to do this, he's going to need a secretary, quote-unquote, to go with him. Um, so down on his luck, Michelle sees the ad in the um, newspaper, uh, fixates on that being his opportunity. It's a very vague advertisement. Um, and by the way, the interview is at 9 p.m. at this guy's mansion. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's every red flag. But again, Michelle is very down on, you know, you know, has no money and is in desperation. So he leaves Lena at a coffee shop while he goes off to this interview and is basically told, we need to leave right now. Grab your bags. We're, we're going. We got to get to the U.S. We got to get to New York. I got to get money out of the safe and work my way down to Caracas. Uh, the rationale is Caracas in Venezuela does not have an extradition treaty with France, whereas the United States does. Um, he needs the money from New York to work his way down to Caracas, um, where he has more money waiting for him. Um, and so in a rather darkly humorous scene, we see Lena, his, uh, Michelle's girlfriend, sitting there at the cafe with her back turned to the door, stirring her coffee. Uh, Michelle sneaks in, grabs his suitcase, sneaks out. She doesn't see him, and she just still sits there waiting for him. Um, and then at some point later, after uh, Fairshow and Michelle leave and are in a car, we still see her sitting at the cafe. And I just envision that she was there throughout the entire duration of the movie, waiting for Michelle to come back, stirring her coffee. Um, no, but like the theme is kind of set that Michelle's running away from, you know, wherever he's, he's not really tackling any of his troubles. He's just running into the next way that might get him out of his troubles. And doing this is taking a man who committed crimes and the crimes are described as him. I think killing, I think it's, he explicitly says he killed three black men, but you know, he tries to do the bullshit justification. Like it was okay for me to take their lives. You would have done the same thing when he's talking to the board, but they were um, threatening me. They were threatening me. Yeah. It's all the same bullshit. And I think it's overall like the way it's presented to me, it's very clear. I mean, this is, and it actually, I was reading part uh, descriptions about the movie, and one thing said, uh, it's kind of like, this character is kind of inspired by Howard Hughes, who, you know, basically disappeared at some point in his career because, the, the, you know, the skeletons in the closet started to overflow. And that's basically what the, what's happening with Fair Show in this, in this scene. Those skeletons are over, are coming out of the closet, and uh, there's only, there, there's going to be more that I think, is implied that's going to come out about him. Um, so with that said, they fly to the U S um, wind up in New York um, after some exchanges with the bank. Uh, he's able to get his money out of the safe, but he's not able to liquidate his account. So he just has cash in this briefcase. Um, and the two of them rent a car and it's a surprise road movie. Um, 
which in my opinion, this was the best part of the movie. Once they hit the open road in the U S and there's two out of place, French guys, uh, one who speaks clearly is just re I, Bel- I don't think Belmondo does not speak English. It's like, I, it sounds very clear. Like he's just re- phonetically sounding out how, um, he's supposed to pr- say the English lines. Um, and you know they're well, very... some of the uh, the Americans in oh this yeah are clearly <laughs> English is not even their first language because believe it or not none of the interior scenes were filmed yeah. in America they were all done on sets in Paris only the exterior scenes were actually shot in America yeah they yeah meet, it, they meet every French person in America I believe throughout this road trip <laughs> they do yeah they just happen to find all the fr- yeah yeah and and yeah and so you. All the exterior shots were the exterior shots that had the actors filmed in the U.S. It's hard to tell when they do. You know, exterior shots can be anywhere, um, like the acting. But I know that's um, okay. So, like, there's some shots where it's an exterior of like a building in New York. That's actually the building in New York. But then there's a a medium shot where it's supposed to still be the same building, and we have the the actors on screen that's very clearly no that is not the same building that is not outside in the real world uh but like there's a scene where they're somewhere in the middle of middle of the country and they hang out on a bridge and the actors are on the bridge and it's a kind of a wide shot like that that kind of stuff was was actually filmed filmed here but anytime you see that it cut closer um no they they've they switched yeah, that's what I. That's kind of what I thought was going on, and so they brought everybody here for to the U.S. for you know a cup, maybe a week or two of filming tops. Um, popped a car in the front of, popped a camera in the front of a car, and just drove it around <laughs> to get all these like the the road shots of where they're traveling. Um, so yeah, they, they basically go on. It's basically a road movie for the second second act. Um, it begins with a trip to Hoboken, New Jersey. Because they got to see, or uh, Michelle at least has got to see, the small home where one Frank Sinatra was born. Um, and you know, these are it's these are all vignettes as they're kind of cruising down the back roads of the United States, um, going through the mountains. They're basically in the Appalachians the whole time, is what I, I more or less interpreted it as, um, as they work their way down south. Uh, they go into a diner and. Uh, this is after they visit Hoboken. They go into a diner, and Michelle puts on on the jukebox. He puts on a Sinatra song, and these two GIs come in, and they're like, "Man, in terrible American accents, by the way," <laughs> are like, "Man, Elvis," or like, "Put on Presley." So you know, we talked about Elvis this this time out as well. But um, they go to put on a song. They start dancing, and then a fight breaks out. Uh, because Michelle's like, don't insult Sinatra like that, and they drop ethnic slur, ethnic slurs about Italians and uh, or Italian Americans specifically, and they get in a fight. And then the GI is like, man, I like this guy; he can fight back. And then they're like, ha ha ha, and they all go on their way. It's just like very fun road. I mean, in many ways, fun road movie like vignettes. Like these are the, this is just the things happening to them as they're they're headed to their destination. Um, the bulk of the road portion. It involves them picking up um, a, a hitchhiker. Her name is Angie. Um, they just see her standing on the side of the road, uh, and they they pick. She stands in front of the, basically stands on the road to block their car. Um, so they give her a ride, and Michelle and her you know start uh, having a fling, and it's implied it's it's unsettling um, to 
uh, fair show that you know Michelle is in, in her. Or, you know, they might you know they might plot the idea that oh, all this money's in a briefcase. Let's just abscond with it. So he dumps the briefcase money out down the side of a riverbank, um, and only Michelle only finds out because he grabs the briefcase to move the seats in the car, realizes it weighs a lot less, and what they then just go to the bottom of the riverbank to start picking up all the cash um, because with with the cash, they have a little bit of something, but without the cash, all they have is uh, fair show uh, kind of lording over the extra money in Venezuela, the money in his bank accounts. Um, but there's nothing tangible on them. So it gives him more control. But having that briefcase around gives them a little bit of control where they could threaten to leave leave with that money and leave him to be taken by the FBI who are tailing them. Um, we eventually work our way... Oh, well, actually, I should say, because Angie does try to abscond with the money, but her bright idea is to abscond with the money in a mobile oil truck in the mountains. Um, so this thing's probably going 20 miles an hour. So, you know, they, they catch, catch up, up pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of tension of them catching up. You just They just speed in front of it, stop, take the briefcase back. The, the driver of the oil truck is just like, I'm out of here, screw this. And she's just left on the side of the road again, um, I guess, waiting for the next car that will pick her up. Um, I thought that was hilarious because the truck driver is like, but I don't want no part of this. And it's like, okay, so he scolds her and like, she could have just been like, well, my, my plan failed and just gotten back in the truck with the dude and driven <laughs> off somewhere without the money. But the truck driver just, just doesn't even ask her, just drives off. <laughs> that was the funniest fight. He's just like, he's like, no, you, you don't deserve a ride anymore, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think one, yeah, so, so the FBI is tailing them, obviously, and extradition papers will be coming for fair show. So they have to find a place eventually to lay low. Uh, getting out of the country is going to be difficult. Um, Michelle right now, he can't really leave at this point because um, he's a little in too deep. Um, but it sounds like he's not really going to face trouble as long as when the time comes, he helps hand over uh, fair show to the authorities. Um, but he's you know kind of in, in webbed himself in this, this, this affair. And um, as a result, they decide they're going to settle in New Orleans, um, where half the French-speaking population in the world apparently lives, uh, based on the movie. And um, well, it was, to be fair, New Orleans was settled and founded by the French. Yes, this it, is true. Yeah, it's a very large part of the culture down there. It is. The yeah, quarter that is French. Yeah. Yep, the French Quarter, Acadiana, um, uh, and so forth. It's kind of the old name, but some of the old names of the area are or, um, of, of everything. And it's obviously named after a French king, Louisiana. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they settle in there and they big house, basically. And it's too hot and humid for this old Frenchman uh, who cannot adapt to essentially a tropical climate. And it, he takes ill as a result. So he's more or less an invalid. And... Um, basically just waiting out the days there until he can get down to Venezuela. And while waiting, Michelle's a little, you know, he's impatient, a little annoyed that this, this old man's basically lording over the riches of, in Venezuela for, to him and starts talking to Jeff, who is a barkeep at the bar near them. And 
Jeff is conveniently enough, basically a crook, you know, a never do well, all that stuff. He owns a bar, um, speaks French, all that. Um, just very convenient that he exists in this universe and um, starts kind of learning from Michelle that there's this briefcase of money. Um, Michelle's very frustrated and, and, and you know, he started, you know, Jeff's like, oh, well, there's a lot of money. I can take this for myself. Uh, at the same time, Michelle starts realizing he can take the money for himself. Um, Fair show is too ill, too old to really, you know, fight back is more or less how it's implied. And of course, Michelle, the heartthrob Belmondo picks up another girl. Uh, this name, this one named Lou, who is a dancer at a club and he becomes smitten with her. They begin spending time together and he decides, you know what? I'm taking the money. We're going. And he picks, he steals the briefcase. Um, and then at that same night that he steals the briefcase to go and be with Lou and then run off with her, Jeff and this heavy co-accomplice of his break into the house and get into a fight with, uh, with Fair Show. And Michelle somehow, some way, is lying with Lou and remembers Lena, the girl in France he left at the coffee shop. And he realizes or determines he's not running away anymore. And he returns the briefcase to the house and sees the fight ongoing. Um, Fair show is stabbed by Jeff during during the brawl, but um, Michelle, with the military and boxing training he has, is able to subdue them. And uh, he goes to Fair Show, who's dying in his arms, and Fair Show encourages him to take a key, go to Venezuela, where there will be even more money in the safe. But uh, M- Michelle closes out by saying he will not, he's had enough, um, and it's implied he's going to finally face the consequences for the first time in his life. Uh, the movie ends, and it's a kind of a weird, abrupt ending, and apparently there was a huge fight on set. Uh, between Melville and uh, Charles Vanell, um, and it basically resulted in Belmondo uh, more or less pushing Melville to the ground and slapping him is what I read. Yeah, just straight up slapping his ass. Yeah, and the, basically Belmondo and Vanell then just left the suit, the shoot, and were like, "Fuck this, we're never working with this guy again." <laughs> And um, Mel- whatever was not done, Melville had to piece together without his two lead actors. Um, Belmondo obviously never. Uh, Belmondo, I do not believe, ever came back to a um, film shot by Melville, nor did Vanell. Um, so it creates a interesting dynamic when you piece together. Especially, I felt that last part in New Orleans. It just felt a little hollow. Um, like they're just. Like there was one, like it wasn't that there was one more thing that could have happened, but it just felt like there was stuff that you know it just was cobbled together, um, and you know not to mention the the road movie part, which was in my opinion the best part of the movie. It, it you know I don't know if there was that there was more that would have been done there um, to just make it more of a full road movie, or if there was stuff in New Orleans that could have been added on and made it. You know, a little more of an engaging final act, but um, if it feels hollow in places, that's just what I'm going with why that happened, because the two lead actors walked out. But overall, I thought this was a good movie, not a great movie. Um, it's got some moments that are really, 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 really good. Um, 
some good fun parts with the road movie. Um, I think, you know, for a guy as awful as Fair Show, it's it's almost there's too much sympathy for him. And I maybe not. Like he's just on the on the lamb, like staying in these dingy motels, um, with you know, not really able to trust the guy he's hoping will get him to safety. Um, but you know, some of that just feels implied versus, you know, overly stated and overly shown. But overall a good movie. I think, you know, this is in the upper, you know, we watched a great Melville movie last time out, and this is more in the, the good tier with his films. Yeah. What did I, you guys think? It's 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 okay. Um a part of me wants to go back and lower my score here. Um, because the more I think on it, like a, you know, there's a long tradition of European filmmakers basically making road trip movies in America. Um, and of the ones that I've seen, which off the top of my head, I, I can only think of Herzog and vendors. Um, this is the worst one. Um, it's, 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 it's less about the road trip journey through America. It doesn't use it as an analog. It doesn't use it as some kind of metaphor for, for seeking meaning. It's just Melville has a hard on for America and he wanted to come over to America and shoot again. Like again, he did with yeah. two men in Manhattan. You say that um, one's kind of its own rogue movie ish. Not, yeah. Not going it, too but, far. Yeah. yeah the, the, the setting of it being America, the point and purpose of a road trip through America for two foreign people None of that is utilized or constructed as part of the story. Um, though I do agree that the, the road trip part was the best part of the movie. Um, but when they stop in Louisiana, because we basically run out of money, so let's stop for a little bit, the movie stops too. Like every, Once they get to Louisiana, nothing happens. It's any good. Like All of a sudden, now Belmundo is like super pissy. Uh, about his situation and he dislikes the old man more and more like it it all feels like it's kind of came out of nowhere um it feels like there's it like you said chris there's stuff missing there it just doesn't feel like there's really anything happening in Louisiana that really serves a purpose or a point except for the ultimate goal of belmondo just be like you know what i'm done i'm gonna gonna skedaddle but uh, yeah, it just ends. It's very unsatisfying. Um, for show is an awful person. Like I, I, I was, I was planning to read about the the novel that it's based on, like see if there was a de- detailed plot synopses. But like at the beginning of the movie, when we first meet Vershow, he's got this amazing beard, and when you look at him. Like you, you're like, no, this is a corrupt dude. There's menace. Like you feel like he's a bad person. Um, all this stuff, like it's very pointed in, in portraying and illustrating. This is not a great dude who is about to go on the run from the law to avoid consequences action. But then he shaves his beard. And for the rest of the movie, after he shaves his beard, it's like he's portrayed as like an, an Ed Asner type of character, the lovable grump. Um, like it's, it's less about, you know, you are a criminal who has done bad things and treats people like dirt to you're a lovable old grump, just like Ed as, um, super weird. Um, that doesn't, he's also like constantly being like, I'm going to die today. You need to be around me all the time. Yeah. He plays up the fact that he's an old man. It's also lightly touched on. And I didn't mention it in the, 
the summary, but his brother, and I feel like in the novel it has to be a bigger plot point given the title of the of the novel, but his brother is left stays behind in France and um when the the investigators from the government come to start talking to him, he basically he takes a couple I guess, you know, cyanide pills or something and uh c- commits suicide, but it's so lightly touched on. Um, you don't know, like, that's what I wondered was yeah. what happened because he's just like casually takes a couple of pills. There's no stress. There's no yeah. dialogue. You don't know what's happening. He's just like, I'm going to pop some pills. And then the door opens and it's like, we're the cops. He's like, take me to your leader. Like everything's groovy. And then it cuts back to America and Belmondo's like, sorry to hear about your brother's death. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it was, I paused and rewind, rewound. Cause I was like, I didn't read that. Definitely wasn't what was said. It must be like, a, it must, it must've said arrest. It must've said arrest. Nope. It said death. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I, I really like Belmundo's character in this. Um, it's just, and I, I like for show, uh, his acting is, is, is nice. It, even though the character is a bit odd, but it's a nice movie. Like that road trip section is just great. I love everything when they pick up the girl um, and Bill Mundo's like immediately sleeping with her. Like <laughs> slow down just a little bit, dude. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is Bill Mundo uh, in 63. I, it, that's just how it happens. <laughs> that's just how it happens. Um, like all of that was really great. Like I really felt that the story had momentum and it was interesting and it was engaging even if it wasn't utilizing the road trip format um to its potential like i've seen herzog and vendors films um it still was a propulsive narrative that was interesting and engaging and then it just stops and dies when they get to louisiana just like for show stops moving and died um like I don't know if that's part of the point. Like it didn't really feel like it was driving it at a purpose. Um, and it just, it felt so listless to me at the end. Um, I ended up putting three and a half stars cause I was like, that was still good. Uh, but I think I want to lower it down to a three cause I was just like, it's not that, um, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, I... and a lot of people I've seen people say that this is like Belmondo's like underdog worst film. Like, and people are like, no, no, it's actually pretty good. It's like, well, we have differing opinions because there's a lot of these Melville films that didn't really work for me. Like this, as a director, he's not really worked for me as well as I had hoped or would have liked. Uh, but this is like a little bit higher up on that scale. Like I like it more than Two Men in Manhattan. And when you read this letter, um, maybe about as much as The Terrible Children. Um whatever that the English title of that was called. Um, yeah. You were saying Corey. Um, yeah. I, I forget what I was going to say, but uh, I agree. I think this was good. Pretty good. Perhaps um, the, the road trip movie was, uh, or the road trip part of the movie was like, like four, four and a half star banger. Um, but yeah, no, no learning that, um, People literally walked out on the film and he had to kind of piece something together that makes a lot more sense about why the New Orleans thing felt, uh, and not even like the story just stopped, but it was also disjointed where we're, I feel like we were skipping parts, um, entire parts of the movie where there should be something here, there should be some sort of character progression, and there is not, um, but they, I mean, it does remind, there are a couple parallels that I can make here, it's like, like, reminds me of, um, 
Watching the ADX Chris, the Kurosawa film next supposed to be four and a half hours long, and it's only three hours long because yeah. the footage is just lost. Um, <laughs> in this case, it was not filmed, but uh, we have an incomplete piece here that's based off a book. And you, I guess we could also make a comparison to Redbeard here, where like they had the director and and his star actor had this falling out, where they're no, they no longer work together after this one. <laughs> Even though they both went on to have story careers after this. Like, we haven't even watched uh, Les Samurai yet. Uh, but I feel like every movie we are saying um, the next movie is going to be the great Melville movie. It feels like, like, I keep, I keep waiting for it. Um, give me the great Melville. And, yeah. like, I felt like I was really close with uh, Ledulos. Uh, but then yeah. this snuck up and I was just like, yeah. we, we started off with, like, Selensky Le- Lamer, too, which was amazing. Um, but a complete departure from what people know Melville for. Um, I do want to say I found a summary of the novel. Um, so parts of the, the film line up pretty, pretty well with it. Um, it's more on fair show is, is, you know, it's more, I think it sounds like it's more overt that this was a man who was basically a participant in the French colonization of Africa. Um, it's kind of implied in the movie, uh, and I think an audience of that time likely would have picked up on it better than an time. Um, Modet, or Michelle, has an admiration for Fershow after being hired as a secretary because he thinks this is a man who who has made it. He has success. He's an, he overcomes the odds, all that kind of stuff. Um, so he's more than willing to go to lamb with with this guy, um, and. He actually has a wife. Michelle has a wife versus a girlfriend, um, and his wife he uh, he leaves behind, um, basically you know unannounced, and just goes off with uh, Fair Show to the Americas. They do not go to the U- U.S. They wind up in Panama. Um, there's not really a road aspect of it. It's they just go. It says the plot summary says after a fairly long journey they disembark in Panama, which obviously it's a long journey if they're on a boat from France to uh, Panama. Um, well, that changes the dynamic because yeah. the feds are no longer after them. Yeah, um, they're no longer waiting for money, or they shouldn't be waiting for money because they've successfully left the U.S. and he's got money in other banks elsewhere. Yeah. Like, yeah, so that whole part of the plot has changed. Um, so we're basically we basically go from the France part to the New Orleans part with different location. Um, Michelle is very indispensable to taking care of his boss of, of Fairchild, who is at this point very sick while they're in Panama. Um, and Michelle starts to just get you know it starts to realize he has to make it for himself. Um, so he becomes friends with local underworld. Uh, and also meets a uh, American woman um, who is staying in the city in Cologne, Panama, uh, for an extended stay. And he kind of sees that he has a way out if he wants it. Um, and so he basically steals the money, kills the boss, kills Fair Show, um, and joins this American woman, Mrs. Lampson, uh, as a rich adventurer traveling the world. So that's the <laughs> that's the difference. The ending is change i think all the other all the other thematic changes are you know or the all the other changes are kind of in line with thematically um but that's a big change that he doesn't he's not the one who does the killing movie so glad i found that i just was able to find something um no the french bartender um and and his like 
uh, the other guy that he doesn't even know, apparently. Uh, they come in and attack for show and uh, ultimately kill him. But, like, I f did that come out of nowhere for everybody else? Like, they were just talking about um, how he was, like, this murderer guy. Uh, but he has done his time and he's just trying to run his bar. And then, like, two scenes later, you see him attacking for show. I think it was telegraphed. Um, the 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 bartender dude, like as soon as he hears like one random word that Belmondo um, utters, like he's he's fishing. Like he's like, oh, we got money to be taken from old people. Like he's he's very in in, in my eyes. I think it was very obvious he is plotting and planning to somehow take the money away from the the old dude and even from michelle uh the fact that it led to murder maybe a little out of nowhere but it makes sense. uh it wasn't as left field um i thought but yeah it wasn't like there was no we're going to plot the murder and make a plan to do the things uh but obviously the bartender was a super shady right yeah I mean, I don't think it's a surprise that he would do that. I, I must have just missed some of the context clues there. Yeah, it's 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 one of those, and I think you see this especially in older older films where they put a lot of weight on one line of dialogue, like mm. or one little act, one little facial movement, but or you know, turn of the head, like to really establish a lot. Um, so it's stuff that's easy to miss. Um, I almost missed it myself, um, but um, yeah. I, I mean, again, I think a lot of that's also consequentially. If if what I'm suspect suspecting is correct, that New Orleans stuff is cobbled together at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A shame. I think there was a lot here. I I, I mean, and maybe yeah. the maybe the the thing holding this this movie back is just the unfortunate fight on the set and the two actors quitting the film. Um, and who knows, you know, you know how different it may have looked if there, if even he got five, ten more minutes of film out of this uh, to do more in the New Orleans sequence or just fill in gaps elsewhere. Right, I think so too. Yeah, because the core of a, a good or great movie is here. Well, like, I think he has a good movie as is, but like a core of a great movie is here. I think, and it's, as we've been saying. Um, they go on a banger in New Orleans, and we do not want to watch them go on a banger. We want to watch yeah. them like go through a <laughs> yes, <laughs> go through a, an arc in New Orleans. <laughs> exactly. All right, but um, any other thoughts on the movie? Uh, I'm gonna be sad to not see Jean Pierre. Wait, John Paul Belmondo. Well, when not we anymore. watch Breathless, you'll get to see him again. No, I thought we were skipping Breathless. I thought we just moved it. We can move. I, I think we moved it to later, or we're, we'll skip it. But yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I will watch. There, it, you, you are, you're not gonna. You, yeah, you're gonna have many opportunities to see Belmondo because he is in so much <laughs> and so much good. Um, so um, anyway, um, our next movie in we will be doing this in March um, Christmas special top anime. Christmas slash Wizard of Oz special slash David Lynch special. We're doing it all in one place. All the good things in life are in one place next month. Um, and we will do top anime in January, top movies in February. Be back in March with um, Le Deuxième Souffle, um, which is a, another crime movie by Melville. Um, two hours and 20 minutes. 
and um, after that, we will proceed into his trilogy of, of quote-unquote, you know, classic great films in Le Samurai, Army of Shadows, and Le Cirque Rouge. Um, so we're coming in the home stretch of, of Melville, and look forward to getting there. Where can we find you all on the internets? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters, the Letterboxd, the Serialized, and the Blue Sky, all at Goku. You can find me on Twitter, Agtaikumenko, T-A-I-I-K-U-M-E-N-C-O. Uh, you can find all of our, um, wait, all of my other profiles, like a link tree, um, on there. And, of course, I'm on Twitter and, and uh, Letterbox at Antonius Pius. And uh, Taiko Movies, uh, Taiku Movies Podcast. Um, you usually do this, Corey. Uh, I'm, I'm stumbling. <laughs> Uh, Taiku Movies Podcast, anywhere you find your podcast, Taiku Podcast, yeah. find all of our podcasts over there, and you can find us on Twitter, like Taiku Podcast. There we go. There you go, Blue Sky. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks, everyone, um, for listening, and we will talk to you next month. Bye. Thank you. You don't know what's happening. He's just like, I'm going to pop some pills. And then the door opens and it's like, we're the cops. He's like, take me to your leader. Like everything's groovy. And then it cuts back to America and Belmondo's like, sorry to hear about your brother's death. And I'm like, what? It's yeah, it's, it was, I paused and rewind, rewound. Cause I was like, I didn't read that. Definitely wasn't what was said. It must be like, a, it must, it must've said arrest. It must've said arrest. Nope. It said death.